0: Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. I'm delighted to introduce Seb Hogreaves, who is Executive Director of the Operational Research Society. Seb, can I just ask you to begin with, there, there are a lot of people who are very familiar with strategic decision making, but not necessarily with operational research. Do you, do you want to just talk about operational research and what that, what that means?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, Martin, thank you very much for having me. You know, it's a pleasure to be with you today and uh, discussing discussing this with you. So, yeah, op- operational research is very much an, an, an interdisciplinary system of me- methodologies and technologies, essentially, which are deployed to improve decision making and find solutions to complex problems. Whether that be in originating in in a, in a military environment or more recently, in in recent decades, deployed across industry, government, business, with a view to ensuring that you can optimise delivery of, of what you're trying to achieve in order to potentially grow revenue, to control costs, to make efficiencies, basically understand and solve complex problems using operational research as a mathematical science and a a range of, as I said, different methodologies and techniques to optimize the outcomes.
0: Absolutely. And, and there are a lot of people who are involved in operational research who probably wouldn't describe themselves as operational researchers. So you've got people who are doing data analytics, who are working on strategy for organisations. And it's, you know, they're essentially using a lot of the approaches of operational research, but don't necessarily always call themselves operational researchers. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that it's kind of evolved. And I think it was perhaps a, a title that was very popular um, some years years back there used to be a lot of courses called operational research, but it's kind of evolved into sort of more data analytics and strategic decision making and strategy and all the other kind of labels that we have. Isn't it? (laughs)
1: Indeed. And, you know, uh, operational research is a really broad church. You know, it it brings together people with, you know, many different interests and disciplines and subsets of operational research that really come together to be sort of the science of better decision making, really. So it, 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 it does cut across many different methodologies and techniques. And as I said, it's a, it's a truly is an interdisciplinary function. Really,
0: could, could you talk about some of the recent sort of highlights in operational research? What are the things that really kind of stick in your mind as being sort of key kind of highlights that have, have happened over the last sort of you know re-
1: recent time? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, one thing that, that that sticks out to me really is is our kind of. Our peer-reviewed journals, you know, they're they're very highly regarded in terms of our our suite of publications, and we've really tried to adapt those and and develop those journals to reach new markets and also respond to the changing nature of of publishing through you know open access. So we're we're about to launch our our first fully fledged open access journal. And we've moved all our journals actually into a hybrid model of open, uh, open access. So that's been really interesting to sort of see the evolution and the transformation of, of our, our peer reviewed journals, and constantly striving really to improve the sort of impact factors, and the quality and, and reputation of our, of our journals. I think another key area for us would be in our work to grow an interest in and uh, and develop in terms of the education of of operational research in terms of our outreach so we we work with students and we encourage those that are interested in the mathematical science of operational research to really consider it as a career and the opportunities that exist in operational researchers as they move through their career. And another really important and brilliant piece of work, I think, that meets certainly our charitable objectives and our our public benefit is our pro bono operational research projects, which is helping third sector organisations who may be struggling to understand and find a solution to a complex problem that they may have, and we can help them to understand that and partner them with some of our members who are willing to, to offer their services to support those voluntary sector organisations. And we've had some, some really great successes in terms of the work that we've, we've done with, with a number of, of charities across the UK.
0: The, the pro bono error is always one that's so so uh, fascinating. As a fellow of the society, I get to see uh, sort of the, the requests come out for sort of pro bono support, and I would I would love to get involved in each and every one of them. To be honest, because they all look so fascinating. The issue is always sort of just the you know uh, the time. How how do you find sort of getting volunteers? Are you are you quite you know you managing to get quite a, quite a few volunteers? Because it's a difficult thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but actually for for our members there can be some really interesting projects for them to work on in terms. Of- of that and and actually you know what what really incentivizes our members is is having you know these real world problems in which to be able to tackle and you know the practical application of operational research you know all the things that they may have learned through their academic studies and stuff and their their work you know to actually apply that and and see a real sort of tangible positive outcomes from their work i think it is you know, has, has a real, motivates our members to want to get involved and want to volunteer to, to support that work. So, yeah.
0: And if, a, if an organisation wanted to request pro bono support, they have to be a third sector organisation based in the UK or what are the, what are the criteria?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's correct. They have to be a third sector organisation based in the UK. They can apply through our website and we, we go through a matching process of understanding what their needs are, putting a calling notice out to our members to support that project and then yeah ha- help to deliver that project and and by pairing the the operational researcher or a team of operational researchers to to that organization
0: that's great and that's something I'm I'm sure that a, a lot of organizations out there who haven't been engaged with the society before would find immensely valuable because they from, from certainly my experience of be, being able to sort of go and look at a number of different organisations, there's a huge amount of power in shining a bit of a, a light down in certain areas where perhaps people haven't thought of going, um, being able to do some analytical work or being able to do a quick deep dive on Strategy, etc., in an organisation, and that can be immensely powerful. Yeah, I'm sure that that's something that uh, many many organisations would find valuable. Just going back to your, you talked about the open access. How open are are the journals? Are, are are essentially all the journals becoming open access? Is it some of the journals, or what's the what's the sort of the, the, the direction of travel?
1: So we're moving to we're moving towards a trajectory of, of, of fully open access, but there's a lot of sort of heritage around our journals through the sort of subscription models that have been uh, prevalent for many, many years, and they're moving more towards a sort of read and publish model and a drive in, in some ways to, in terms of the, the revenue models for publishing and potentially more towards the, the sort of quantity of output. And some would say at the risk of damaging the sort of quality of output. So, so we have this balance to strike really between ensuring that our journals remain relevant reputationally highly regarded but also a desire to provide research papers to those that want to access them in a way that is you know is accessible cost effective and available so it's just the transition really of, of that process and how we how we sort of manage the changes to both the way in which journals are, are published and, and made available and the financial implications of that as well. So it's, it, I would say it's uh, it's evolution rather than revolution when it comes to the publishing sort of tra- transformation. But certainly we are committed to wanting to um, support the drive towards fully open access journals and hence why we're launching this year our, our very first fully open access journal with the potential for more to come. So and I think there are other, like with with many learned societies that are publishers of, of, of academic journals within their own disciplines. You know, this is something that affects the whole sector, not not just operational research, but is something that we're you know we're, we're actively engaged in transitioning to that to that model and how we can best support our editorial boards and our paper authors and things in, in the way that is, is is most appropriate.
0: Yeah, it's a definitely. A, it's an important area. And I think what it's going to help to do is to link much more the sort of industrial and sort of well, a non-academic world with the academia, because I think at the moment the, certainly I mean having obviously a foot in both camps I find it's very easy to hop over to being an academic I simply log in through the university and I can have full access to anything but I I do realise that having worked with a lot of people in industry when I say could you look up I don't know Himmel and Prahalad or something you know core competencies of the organisation I mean that one happens to be out there as as a free paper um, but a great many aren't and so it's not the you know the money that there's being charged for the paper. It's the sheer, you know, time that it takes to go and create an account and log in and enter details. And I think it's really great to be able to make more available, and that will actually essentially bridge that, that gap so that the people who are on perhaps apprenticeship programmes where they're not part of the university or uh, people who are independently studying will then have much easier access to a great wealth of material. So that's a, a fantastic advance. That's really great that the, the journals are sort of moving in that direction to allow people to have sort of easier easier access. Thinking about the um, sort of activities you mentioned in and, and sort of operational research and the, you know, the ability of, a, of sort of an organisation to access pro bono, etc. Um, so you, you as, as an organisation, have had a, a strategic review of your sort of, you know, your approach using things like the viable system model. How was that for you? How did you find that? And what were the benefits of having that strategic review of the society?
1: I think it was really interesting I mean it seems to me perfectly appropriate that as a society of operational research we would deploy oper- operational research techniques to looking at our own strategy and processes and things ourselves so I-, I was very keen to revisit the strategy I think there'd been a lot of over the past 12 18 months have been a lot of internal and external changes factors that had, had, had changed where we were from when the strategy was, was developed actually pre-COVID, pre the COVID pandemic. So we both had a change of leadership within the organization. And also, you know, as I talked about, a lot of the sort of, there'd been a lot of changes in the external environment, you know, not least recent conflicts and cost of living, energy crisis, the global pandemic, et cetera. So a lot of things had, had been changing. And in terms of the, as I mentioned before, the sort of how publication, the move towards open access was was changing our our revenue models, Uh, there was a lot of sort of things we were grappling with and and having to adjust to. And and I was really keen to sort of revisit our strategy in light of those changes to really just test that actually the objectives and the direction of travel for the organisation that we'd set sort of 2019, 2020 still remained true and fit for purpose and so actually bringing bringing in some operational research methodologies in terms of like the viable systems model to sort of have a look at our our systems and processes and our, our governance arrangements around how we make how we're making decisions, how we're designing our strategic direction and objectives was really beneficial I think because it helped us to Sort of really compartmentalize and unpick sort of the the various sort of structures within our organization that were that were making decisions either strategically or operationally. How we look at sort of horizon scanning and and what's going what's looking to the future, which was really important, and how we design our organization in a way that's going to best support our our future direction and and manage those challenges and opportunities that were coming coming along so so yeah i think it's really it's really helped us to sort of reflect and, and review and tweak and change what where where we've seen decision channels and processes maybe not being optimi- not ha- being optimized previously we've been able to look at how we can uh, adjust those to improve and, uh, and optimize our decision making and the way we govern the organization going forward so it's it's been a really useful process I think.
0: I'm so glad I think it's um, yeah as you say, it's it's always always good to have that sort of independent sort of stock take and you, you mentioned viable system model which is of course a template so it's a, a template that was um, designed a long time ago by Stafford Beer as a as a way of looking at what what are the key elements of, a, of an organization? What what needs to be there in order to be viable? And often organizations are not quite you know they don't necessarily have all of those ingredients in place at any one time. Um, so it's a it's a review of sort of how do you how do you meet sort of that kind of template organization? And then it gives a, a set of ideas and ways of being able to enhance, which essentially makes the organization more robust, more more viable, <laughs> basically more likely to to survive as markets change, as things move on. As sort of the, the general shifting of sands happens so I'm, I'm so glad that that has made a difference and has helped in terms of identifying kind of those as you said, the strategic and operational areas of focus for the organizations as that moves forward. Thinking about the future for operational research, thinking about sort of what's coming up and the various events that are happening as we as we go forward. what do you think is really you're sort of really excited about in terms of you know, the future for, for operational research? what are the really key things that are coming up?
1: There's some really exciting projects actually on the on the horizon. We've really tried to following the work that we've done with the viable systems model and the sort of setting out the sort of the blueprint really for how we want to be structured and moving forward, we've recognized there's a number of areas that we want to kind of consolidate and kind of set set firmer foundations for us to be able to move the organization forward in a in a really positive way. So a couple of things that we're doing in, uh, this year and into next year is firstly revisiting our website and CRM and migrating those to new platforms to enable us to have a better understanding of our of our data and be able to report on data better and, and collect and measure a lot of sort of member metrics and stuff in a much more in much more intuitive and improved way so we're going to be deploying a new website later this year and a, and a new CRM which will put some processes and systems in place to enable us then to develop some of our core deliverables around membership and training and education moving forward the other thing that we're looking at doing is and i think you touched on this earlier in that the term operational research you know has its roots in in sort of world war 2 and and sort of had a had a a heyday if you like in the sort of 1960s and 70s you know in in deploying across industry and business and, and government but I think in some ways there's a lot of new terminology around there as we mentioned around what traditionally would be seen as operational research and we want to be able to adapt potentially in how we are positioned within the market how the new pipeline of younger people coming into operational research recognize us as their natural home and see value in in joining the society and us staying with them throughout their career. So I think one of the pieces of work we're going to be doing in the next year is a a sort of rebranding and repositioning exercise to actually look at whether our brand is is right for the you know for the future and how we can better position the organization moving forward because you know we we want to be attractive to the future pipeline of people working and studying in operational research and associated subjects and i think you know with the changing sort of terminology around uh, decision science, you know management science, data science, analytics, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, all these all these sort of various subjects that that actually are very attractive really to to many people that want to work within a mathematical science and data environment. We need to be best positioned to attract those cohorts and communities and for them to feel like, they have a natural home and a learned society on which they can rely on, which we can support them throughout their through their career. So we just want to be able to best relate to those communities and give those communities a voice and, and be an inclusive organisation. That process of us being able to just look at our branding and our name and our, uh, our positioning will, will really help us to, to be able to, do, uh, to understand and to do that better. I think other work that we're doing is we're really looking at our student membership and our corporate membership as two areas that perhaps we've neglected a little bit in the past or not prioritized as much as perhaps we should do. And I think, you know, we want to really recognize that, you know, student student members are the future pipeline of the full membership of the Operational Research Society. And what can we do to incentivize and to retain them? throughout their careers so we've put in a few measures around an aggregated sort of membership fee as they begin and early on in their career so that we don't get a sort of cliff edge scenario where you know we offer sort of free membership while they're students and then as soon as they qualify we expect them to pay the full membership fee so uh, and, and also a more sort of tailored approach to how we support different demographics within our community so what a student or, or a, you know, someone in operational research within their first five years of work probably wants something quite different to maybe a middle career or late career operational researcher. So we're really trying to understand our different member personas and provide a member value proposition to those communities that, that best meets their needs and expectations.
0: Yes, absolutely. And as as you said, that's that's, that's such an important refresh, isn't it? Because I think given the the, the kind of there's the, the, a bit less understanding these days in terms of the term operational research I think people that certainly the, the impression I get is that people who've come into the society appreciate you know the vast wealth of, of what's being offered but it's not quite so easy to see that from the outside can I just i are nearly out of time but just a last, last couple of questions I wanted to ask you so people can join the society who are not necessarily in the UK can't they so there are, although you're a UK society you have members from across across the world essentially don't you
1: yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, we are we are the oldest operational research society, and many would say you know the preeminent s- society in operational research. And of course, you know, the, many of the universities attract international students who either then decide to return to their their home country, or or, or indeed potentially stay and work in, in within the UK. But yes, our, our membership is open to to all those globally that, that are interested in in the work of operational research and and work within that field so so yes
0: awesome and the um, student membership is still free which yes, is a really good thing so for the students out there you you, you absolutely can't lose um free, free membership of the society is a, a a wonderful thing one thing i would also say is for anybody who's considering joining the society the special interest groups are very much at the heart of what the society does and being part of a, of a special interest group is so useful and so sort of fascinating i've got a huge amount out of it and i've often said to um, sort of you know, friends and colleagues. I wouldn't have been able to start my company if it hadn't been for the special interest groups in the society, because that was where I met, you know, all the people that I've worked with. That's where I've met a whole lot of clients. That's where I've met, you know, so many people that I've done business with. So I find that the, the special interest groups really are so so vital to to the work of the society.
1: Indeed, and we do we you know we do so much work around knowledge exchange. You know, I think one of the unique aspects of our organisation is that we have. A really nice balance of membership across academia and practitioners in industry and across government and we can really make those connections and bring people together whether it's through the special interest groups through the regional networks or you know in 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 our sort of knowledge exchange work that we do as well so yeah i think that that's a real really positive aspect of, of membership of the society and it's great to hear that you've benefited personally from that so much Martin.
0: It's yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much step. really great to talk with you and I'm, I'm so pleased to hear about the, the, the direction of travel that the Operation Research Society is taking. Uh, and also it's sort of so interesting to to hear your reflections on the, the kind of strategic sort of review of the society an important thing to do I think for for many people they they wonder whether it's whether it's worth doing or not it's great to hear that it was very beneficial and useful for for you
1: so Seb, thank you very much for joining me oh well thank you for the opportunity to tell you about it Martin. <laughs> great to see you
0: <laughs> this was the evolving enterprises podcast stories of growth and transformation thank you for listening